we're talking about what it means to live uh -huh. love, to uh -huh. live like that. Wow. If you're taking notes today, I hope you will. There should be a sheet, and there's some uh, answers that you can fill in along the way, little scriptures you'll see. And uh, I encourage you just to do that, and then um, if you want to put it on your refrigerator, even if you just take it home and throw it away, if you wrote it down, something happens between the brain and the page, and it just it reinforces that a little. So I, I just encourage you a little bit on that, okay? So what it means to live love. We have been using this verse in Ephesians, and, and I'm trying to memorize this and trying to, you know, kind of challenge some of you to memorize it or at least get familiar with it. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And it says this, imitate God. That's, that's all we ask. Just imitate God in everything you do. Wow. That's all. You don't think that's a big thing? That is like huge. Why do you do that? Because you're his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. You see, that's the thing that Jesus did. He lived a life filled with love, and what happened? They got mad at him and killed him. But that, too, was part of God's plan. He was a sacrifice. He offered himself as a sacrifice for us. And that was sweet. It didn't stink. When we don't behave like this, it stinks. But when we act like Jesus, it's a pleasing aroma to God. So here it is. The key ingredient in personal relationships is love. But we're going to a higher level of love. We're talking about unconditional love. We're talking about God's love. And this, guy, this love is called agape love. And, and this is the kind of love that we can maybe rise up to once in a while. It's sacrificial love. It's, it maybe is kind of like a parent loving their child so much they sacrifice for them, that kind of a thing. But it's, it's a consistent, ongoing love. Most of us can't do it. That's why we need God. So this kind of love, sacrificial love, cares for others beyond our ability to care for them. This is the most accurate indicator of health in a church. Do they practice real love? That's it. That's it. We talked about the very first step in loving God. If you're taking notes today, just as a reminder, the first thing is to love God. The Bible tells us he loved us first. He sent Jesus as a sign of his love, that he loved the world so much, that he died for us, all that. So the first thing is to love God. Uh, when you start to love God, when, when you let God love you, you are sorry for your sins, you ask for forgiveness, you become a Christian. Basic, love God. That's number one. Number two is just a little further out than that, in that we love other believers. We love fellow Christians. And, and really the Bible says that he puts us together as a family when we're all, when we have the same father, when God, and we have the same brother, Jesus, we're family. And so do you have, do you, you have family? Do you love everyone in your family? Don't answer out loud. I've told you I have this one brother that's really hard for the rest of us to love. 
and he doesn't want to, anything to do with the rest of us. So it makes it easier. Yeah. So all I can do for him now is to pray for him. I'm going to still call him on his birthday and say happy birthday. Maybe I shouldn't call him. Maybe I should just send him 50 bucks in a birthday card. What do you think? Oh, cheapskates. <laughs> call, call. Okay, okay, we'll see how it goes. It's not till August. I got a lot of time to forget about that. <laughs> Love God. Love fellow believers. You know, I found this verse. I really like it. Um, it's Romans 12. Romans 12, and it's 9 through 13. Look at this. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take, I like this word, delight. Take delight. We need more delight in our lives. Take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. That means happily, with joy, cheerfully. Nobody likes grumpy Christians. Is there such a thing as a grumpy Christian? No, get over it. goes on. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Whoa, look at this. Am I genuine in my love for others? Do I have to fake it? Uh, do I have affection for the family of God? You know, there's several of these letters in here that the very end of the letter, Paul says, greet each other with a holy kiss. I haven't received any holy kisses this morning. A holy kiss in our day and age would really be like a nice, warm handshake. A hug works, too. I did get a hug from you earlier. And it brought me joy. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, her name's Joy, so yeah. But it did bring me joy. And you are joy, okay? So you look at that. Am I, am I real in this? And then we come down to this word hospitality. And hospitality, we think that means like having people over. We don't do that anymore. But we, you know, we used to have people over, right? You would do that uh, once in a while. Uh, this Greek word is a, is a kind of a funny word. It's in your notes. Do you see it there? Philonexia. The accents on the sia. Sia. I, I thought that was kind of clever. Sia. Yeah, okay. Philonexia means, and this is literal, a lover of strangers. So when we think of hospitality, we think of having our best friends over. Anybody can do that. Hospitality means having a stranger over. Ooh, that, that's kind of weird, especially in this day and age of stranger danger. But let me tell you, in our story today, on our main text, we got, we got strangers. We got dangers. We got 
heroes, we got villains, we got bad guys and good guys, and which do you want to be? Well, I'll, you can tell me afterwards. So does God expect me, really, does he really expect me to love strangers? This is a tough one. And this is a much harder teaching of Jesus for the church, for us today. So love God, love your fellow men, but love your neighbor. You know, when Jesus said that, love your neighbor as yourself, the guy that was there kind of quizzing him, he was a kind of a lawyer, a scribe, and he said, well, who's my neighbor? Now, did he really want to know who his neighbor was, or was he just trying to trick Jesus, or, or was he trying to test Jesus, or, or was he really thinking, hey, this guy Jesus just might have something of understanding of God that I don't have. So who is my neighbor? And, okay, open your Bibles. This is Luke 10. This is the main text that we're looking at today. And in this passage, this is a familiar story. But I want you to kind of look at it a little differently with me today, okay? So the guy says, who is my neighbor? And Luke 10, verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. He said, a Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, Jerusalem is kind of up on this plateau, and Jericho is kind of down right at the end of the Jordan River before it goes into the Dead Sea. It's, low, it's below sea level. So it's, it's quite a drop in elevation, probably even more than going from Placerville to the Sacramento River, you know, that much drop, okay? But it's about 17 miles, so it's kind of windy, kind of treacherous area. So, and all these guys knew this, but I had to explain it to you because some of you didn't know that that going from Jerusalem to Jericho was kind of kind of a tough little journey. But it was downhill all the way, so not so bad. But while this Jewish guy was on the way, look at what it says. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, half dead beside the road is still half alive. You understand that? But if something doesn't happen for this guy, He's not going to just be half dead. He's going to be fully dead. You know? and, and so he's half dead, and he needs help. But good, man, isn't this great? Verse 31, by chance, a pastor came along. Well, really, the word was priest, but that was sort of like a pastor. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Have you ever been to downtown Stockton at night? Now, if you're walking down the street in downtown Stockton at night, and you see somebody lying on the sidewalk, do you go over and help them? See, if we're brutally honest with each other, probably not. As a matter of fact, you probably could see several people lying on the streets in many of our major cities. And some of our thoughts would be, oh, that person's on drugs, or they're drunk, or probably homeless. I see it all the time, and we would walk on by. 
Am I right? In this day of stranger danger, we would probably tell other people to walk on by. Is there anything, though, that would change that situation so that you would help? What conditions would have to be there for that to happen? If it was in downtown Placerville, would that make it more likely that you would help? Hmm. For whatever reason, this priest walks on by. You know what some have said? They said, well, if the priest was on the way to serve in the temple, there were so many priests that they didn't need them all the time that they would only serve like two weeks every two years, you know, that kind of a thing. Well, if he's on the way to help, then of course he would have to walk on by because if you touched a dead body, you'd be defiled and then you couldn't serve and, and all that. They had all these rules, you know? So he, he could come up with, with good excuses, almost reasons why he shouldn't help. In his own mind, he could come up with those, right? We do that too. But wait, there's another guy. Verse 33, no, 32. A temple assistant, you might have one of those Bibles that says a Levite. You see, there were so many people in the tribe of Levi that they, they had all these kind of jobs. And these guys would, would maybe take care of the animals for the sacrifice. They weren't priests, but they were part of that. They served in the temple and did all that kind of stuff. So maybe this is an associate pastor. An associate pastor comes by, sees the man. Look at this. He saw the man lying there. He crossed to the other side of the road, too. But he at least came over and looked at him lying there before he also passed by on the other side. So are we giving this guy a little more credit? Did they do anything bad? The, the priest or the, the, the pastor or the associate pastor, did they do anything bad? No. They just didn't do good. Eh, that's bad. But verse 33 and now it comes, the hero of our story. You've heard this story before, haven't you? Never quite this way. A despised Samaritan came along. Now, you may not know what a Samaritan is. Samaritans were half-breed. They were half-Jewish, and then they had intermingled with the other people that were living in that area. There was a time when Israel was all one nation, but then they divided into Judah and then the ten tribes in the north, and, and the ten tribes in the north, they, they didn't follow God very well, not as well as Judah. This is way more information than you want. But just know that they were kind of considered like half-breeds. Right? So whatever it is, the people understood that there was reason for discrimination and prejudice. They had their own personal reasons for that. And when Jesus says the Samaritan comes by, it, for us it would be like, well, a Muslim comes by, or a black person comes by, or an illegal immigrant from Nicaragua comes by. You know, Whoever you want to put in there to make it real for today, that, that's who this is. A despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Compassion here is another word for love. Going over to him, the Samaritan 
soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Now, you may think it's kind of funny to soothe his wounds with such common things. The wine actually would be a disinfectant. And they didn't have anything better than wine as a disinfectant. So he would use that as a disinfectant. And the olive oil would be soothing uh, on the wounds. And, and, and so maybe help a little healing. So that's what he did. He did first aid with what he had. And, and, and that's what anybody would have done in this situation. Now, there's no ambulance and there's no hospital, but look what he does next. He put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn. Now, an inn, there wasn't like just, you know, Motel 6 everywhere, you know, it wasn't that kind of a thing. It was a, a house that, hey, we take in travelers and for a small fee, we'll let you have a bed for the night. That, it was that kind of a thing, okay? But also, it was the best place to recuperate. It, it, in this case, it became a hospital for this guy. So he takes him to the inn where he himself continued to take care of him. This guy is going the extra mile, the Samaritan. He helps the guy. He provides the ambulance and the hospital. And, and look at this. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. That is like um, two days' wages, which would have bought a couple of weeks in the inn at that time. So he's given him two days' wages and, and telling him, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher, I'll pay you next time I'm through. Wow, he is really going the extra mile. So Jesus tells this story. And then he comes back to the lawyer. And he says, now which of, three, of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And then Jesus said, duh. Because this is a duh question. I mean, there is just totally duh here. Because was the priest a neighbor? He didn't do anything bad. Were the bandits neighbors? The Levite? The temple assistant? Was he a neighbor? He took a look. It was a duh that the Samaritan was the answer. But the guy doesn't want to answer that. He didn't, he didn't want to even say the word Samaritan. He says, the one who showed him mercy. Mercy is another word for compassion. Both signs of love, demonstrations of love, compassion and mercy. And Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. I love it when we hear a story from the scripture, when there's a message in the Bible and it says so directly, now go and do the same. We could just stop right now. Oh, but I have more for you. So don't leave. Don't escape because it's going to get tougher. Are you ready? So who is my neighbor? This lawyer scribe unknowingly expresses a fundamental issue of ethics. This is an ethical question. Who is my neighbor? What it really means is, for whom am I responsible? If you're taking notes, write down that word, responsible. 
Who am I responsible for in issues of justice or mercy or love? You see, not everyone in the world is your neighbor, but some, if you have proximity with them, if you have connection with them, you have responsibility for them. You are not responsible to save the world. You can't do it anyway, but you can tell people about Jesus, but you can only tell people about Jesus who are kind of in proximity to you. You're not responsible for the whole world. You're only responsible for the ones around you. Those are the ones who are your neighbor. So the Bible dictionary defines neighbor as this, a person living in the same vicinity, engaging in mutual activities, and for whom one takes some responsibility. If you are in soccer with your little kid and some other mom says, can you get my kid a ride home? You're taking responsibility. That person is your neighbor. If you see this person all the time at the bank and you they're your favorite teller, then you, they become a neighbor. If you have a neighbor that happens to be a neighbor, I tell you about my neighbor sometimes. He lives up above me. And for some reason, the hillside likes to wash down the driveway that we share. And guess what? All that stuff doesn't stop on his portion of the driveway. It stops at the end of the driveway. And I, being a good neighbor, without any grumbling, choose to clean it up as a good neighbor. Sometimes I even go up and I talk to, to my neighbor and I say, man, we got to get the city out here again. He's so good. He, he keeps in contact with the city. I love it because he always tells me stuff that's going on. He's he's up on it. So he he does that. That's neighborly that he does that. And 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 so I bring his trash cans up sometimes, and and I'm, I'm waiting for him to offer to do that for me. And and I, I suppose if I asked him, he would. But anyway, so if you take somebody's trash can up, you're being a neighbor. You're you're helping them with their responsibility. Okay, do you get that? We think of a neighbor as somebody who lives by us. That's not what the word really is. As a matter of fact, it's going to get much much worse in just a moment. But in our our challenge today, in our scripture today, here it is. Whom must I love? It's that word must. Wow. Who ought I to love? Who should I love? Who must I love? This passage tells us you must love your neighbor. So what's the biblical definition of neighbor? The word is placeon. Placeon. Did I tell you the biblical definition of phylexnasia? Yeah, that's hospitality, loving strangers. Placeon is what a neighbor is, a near fellow man. So anybody who's kind of near you enough for you to be kind of in connection with them, some if they're close to you and they're a human being and you know something about them, if you have any responsibility for them at all, they're a neighbor. Any person near you outside of your friends or family is a neighbor by that looser definition. We're going to get a little more uh, defined now because, you know, neighbors could be a friend or a family. I mean, Jenny Riley lives on the compound with her parents, her in-laws, her husband, and her children. They're all there on that one, the Riley compound. They're all right there. That's your neighbors. Do you have other neighbors? Sure. I don't know who they are, but I hear about them once in a while. 
Anybody, you know, maybe neighbors can be friends and family, but most usually not. Most usually they're not because there's another word that we use here. Neighbors are usually, write this down, outsiders. Who is an outsider to you? The Samaritan was definitely an outsider. Was he a neighbor? Hmm. Neighbors, outsiders. You know what? The Bible uses all kinds of different terms to describe outsiders. Here's what they're known as in the Bible. You'll recognize some of these words. The first one is alien. They're aliens. Now, this is before about the 1970s when all aliens became space aliens, right? Um, I remember in history, and we would study, and, and then all come you'd come across this, the Alien and Sedition Act. Oh, there were aliens back then? You say aliens now, and people think outer space. But what an alien really is, it's, it's a person who's living by you that's a resident, but they're not a citizen, okay? So that's what an alien was. Do we still have aliens among us? Yes, all the time. They're not space aliens. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't think I have any space aliens. Another word. This is getting tougher, okay? Pagans is the next word. Wow, what's a pagan? You call somebody a pagan today and they're going to hit you. But a pagan really is just an idol worshiper, a, a, a polytheistic, more than one god. A, a, actually, um, you might even kind of relate to this a little bit because a pagan belief is to worship creation, worship nature, Mother Earth, those kind of things. There's a lot of people who would worship creation over worshiping the creator. And there's groups like Wicca and different groups like that today that are, that are pagans. Um, there's more. Wait, heathens. I remember my mom would call us heathens when we were running around outside barefoot and got all dirty and say, give it in here, you heathens, and take a bath. Um, heathens actually are unbelievers with no true God. Um, maybe today we wouldn't call people heathens. I, I hope not. Um, we think of islanders who, you know, heathens. Uh, atheists are, are really more of the definition. So can, a, can an atheist be your neighbor? Mm. The next word, how about this one? Barbarians. Barbara Herb told me on the way out of church today that her name, Barbara, actually comes from barbarian. That explains a lot, doesn't it? I said, have you ever researched the name Barbara with that? Who are the barbarians? And, you know, um, the Romans used the term for barbarians because some of the Germanic tribes that were, that were barbarous, barbarians. It means a rude, crude, wild, uncivilized person. You don't even have to go to Hollywood to find a type of person like that. I mean, there's a lot more there, but yeah. Oh, the next word, savages. Savages was, there was this tribe on the northern part of, of Turkey, today's Turkey, uh, which were the savages. And, and Paul says, you know, avoid the savages. Uh, we, we probably think mostly about savages as Native Americans, you know, the savages, the Indians in the old days, cowboys and, and Indians, and the Indians were the savages. Really, it really just means any primitive but it could be brutal or vicious person, a savage. Uh, isn't there some wrestler whose name's Savage? Yeah. Is that his real name or is that his fake wrestling name? 
stage, yeah. Why would you, t- that's a tough name, but he wants it. He's brutal, vicious, yeah. Another word that's probably much more common, especially in the Bible times, was the word foreigner. You can't call anybody a foreigner now, but that really just means an outsider. Somebody from another country who happens to be living near you. Very synonymous with alien. Uh, But foreigner is often used in the Bible. Sojourner is a word that has become... Uh, and we, it's even become popular and, and positive to call somebody a sojourner. That means a visitor, or it could mean like a drifter, right? A sojourner, somebody passing through. Are, and, and that person could be a neighbor. Now it gets a little different here because slaves were to be neighbors in the family of God. Slaves were people who were owned by other people. They had no personal rights. Who are the least among us who, who maybe don't have a lot of rights? Uh, we, we, we could think about uh, illegal immigrants and, and how do we treat them? Do we treat them like neighbors or do we treat them like foreigners or slaves? Enemies, another word that could be used. Love your enemies. Love your neighbor. If, and if you are enemies with your neighbor, this is a person who's, who's hostile to you or opposed to you in some way. We're called to love them. And certainly strangers. Often the Bible says there are strangers among you. This word stranger is also translated pilgrims. When the pilgrims, the whole Mayflower thing, Plymouth Rock, all that, when those pilgrims came, they were the strangers. They were exiles, and they were coming to a new land. That's what that word stranger means, exile. Do we have exiles in America today? There's exiles all around the world, people who are having to leave, they're forced out of their homeland. Now, the Jews had all one encompassing word. This word took in every one of these other subgroups, and that is the word Gentiles. If you were a Jew, then everybody else who wasn't a Jew was a Gentile. didn't matter who they were, because Gentile means they're a non-Jew. They're, they're literally them. And it was us and them with the Jews. And if you're not us, then you are them. Uh, this has become a derogatory term now. In the Hebrew, it's the word goyim. And Jews might use that to describe uh, somebody who's not a Jew today in a derogatory way. It's become a derogatory word now. Uh, in the Greek, it's the word ethnos. And we get the word ethnic, somebody who's different ethnically. It's come to mean that. But for the Greeks, for in the Bible times, it meant somebody from another tribe or somebody from a different race, somebody who was from a different territory or somebody from a different religion. Any of those things could make you a Gentile. Any of those things would make you an outsider. And Jesus says, no. These outsiders are to become neighbors, and you're to love your neighbor. This is a tough teaching. Let me tell you, you and I cannot do this on our own. We may try to learn and grow and do better at this, but we need God's power. We need his spirit to connect with us to be able to do this. These words, they're all words of prejudice and discrimination. And we have plenty in America today. 
Jesus changes all that when he tells us to love our neighbor. And Jesus is being biblical. Here's what the Bible says, Deuteronomy 10. So you too must show love to foreigners, for you yourself were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Leviticus 19, do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. And, and then he says, he caps it off with a big stamp of approval. I am the Lord your God. It's like, when I say this, you better do it. People who love God choose to do what he says. And so for you today, if you love God and you love your fellow believers, the third thing is to love your neighbors as yourself. And who are our neighbors? Aliens, pagans, savages, heathens, barbarians, foreigners, sojourners, slaves, enemies, strangers, Gentiles, them. Not us, them. Hebrews 13.2 says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Ephesians 2.19. So now you Gentiles, you them, you're now us. You Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. Becoming a Christian, having the like father and Jesus as our brother makes us all members of God's family. This would be a really good time to say, woo-hoo! The old-fashioned way to say amen, but you don't have to do that. But yes, that's what the family of God, that's what the church needs to be and ought to be. Okay, so we've had this guy who's been coming around um, suppose his name is Floyd. No, his name's not Floyd. That's your name. Suppose his name is Lloyd. Okay? That's not his real name. Lloyd comes around and he digs for crystals. And I have a picture of him. Here he is. This is him. This is not him. This is a guy who does what he does. But I found this guy sitting on a rock digging for crystals, and I thought, that's just what... What's his name? Lloyd. That's just what Lloyd does, you know? Okay, Lloyd, there is a real guy named, and his name is not Lloyd, but there is a real guy. And he's a brother of a former member of our church who has moved away. And by the way, Lloyd lives up the street. He's a neighbor. And I don't want him to be. I don't want him to come here and dig for crystals. I went out and talked to him. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to love everyone. I know something a little bit about Lloyd. He attended our church just a couple of times, and it's been a while ago. But I did find out that about 25 years ago, Lloyd had been arrested and there was some kind of criminal activity, and it involved children. And so I'm thinking, oh, man. I do not need this. I do not need Lloyd coming around here. And, you know, I, I asked him what he was doing, and he told me, and, and then he said something, and it blew me away. 
He said, well, this is my church. And I said, what? Your sister used to come here? You came here once or twice 10 years ago? This is your church? I said, in my most loving pastoral way, this is not your church. <laughs> you don't come here. You don't attend here. You don't give here. You don't serve here. You, what do you mean this is your church? But you know, when I was talking to him, I realized something. This is his church. This is the only church he has. It's close in proximity. His sister used to go here. This is the only church he knows. This is the only church he's probably come to in the last 25 years. This is his church. I didn't really want it to be, but, you know, just to be honest with you, you didn't want it to be either, right? You know what? He saw this as a good place. He saw this as a good place to be, a safe place, a loving place. Is that right? Is it? Yes, it's supposed to be. That's, that's who I am supposed to be. I'm supposed to be loving my neighbor. And who is it? It's Lloyd. So I said, you're, you're welcome to come to church. Um, but, you know, if you're going to come here during the week and no one else is here, and you're going to dig her crystals, okay. But if there's anybody around, I need you to recognize that and just be courteous and leave. You know, if, if some family comes and is using our playground and they're not even from our church, just, just be aware of that and leave, okay? If somebody comes to walk there, we have so many people come and exercise their dogs here. We have people who come, and we have a walking path that goes all the way around. You're welcome to come and walk on that walking path, okay? Um, Sheila makes sure you keep it up, and it's a, it's a, good, it's a good hike, too. It's a lot uphill. So, you know, people come and do that. And, and so we agreed that, okay, if there's any uh, people around, then, then he's going to just make sure he comes when there's no one else around. So he could have the privilege of digging crystals. But then I realized, you know, if he comes, every time I'm here and I see him, wow, that's a reminder for me to make a friendship with him. And more importantly, to pray for him. So in my wonderful magnanimity, I am trying to reach out to this guy who we're calling Lloyd. I try to remind myself that God loves him and has put him in responsibility in my life. And now I've shared it with you, so... So I pray for him. And I want to treat him like a neighbor, a good neighbor. I, I found this verse, and I just thought it just was super for summing up where we're going today. Would you, would you just look at this? It'll be on the screen here. Colossians 
Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and you become like him. That's the thing. If you're not at the place where you can love a person like Lloyd, it's okay. Just love Jesus and he is going to become more important in you and you're going to be able to love. You're going to become like him. That's what we're here to do, not to show how great we are. You're not all that great. You're wonderful and delightful, but not all that great. We still have room. Church, we can do better at loving our neighbors. We need to. Okay, it goes on. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or a Gentile or Lloyd or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. None of that labeling matters. Christ is all that matters. And if we're going to be a real church, Christ is all that matters. And he tells us to love. Since, oh, and he lives in all of our lives, in all of us. Now, you may have just a seed of God sprouted in you. Let it grow. You may have been a Christian for a long time, but if you were honest, it's been winter. You haven't grown much. It's time to grow. You need a little pruning, whatever. Let God grow in you. Then you can love. Not with your love, with his love. This is, this is pretty good stuff. You could say, oh, yeah. Now, since God chose you to be his holy people, he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All forms of love. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you, only if they ask first. Oh, wait, that's not in there. I told you this is a tough teaching, didn't I? Yeah. God help us. Because this is what we need to be as the church. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Isn't that good? Hey, this is straight out of the scripture. Now, probably you haven't heard that version of the Good Samaritan story before like that as a neighbor, as you must love all those other people. But that's what we do. Okay, so when I am hot, I usually will take off my sweater, turn on the air conditioning, get a cold drink, whatever, okay? When I'm cold, I'll put on my sweater or turn on the heat, build a fire, uh, have a cup of hot tea, whatever, okay? Uh, if I'm not feeling well, I'll try to rest, drink plenty of fluids, call you in the morning, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? If I'm really sick, I'll go to the hospital. I'll, I'll buy some really expensive prescription medications. And hopefully I'll get better. And, you know, if I'm lonely, I'll call up some friends. We'll get together. We'll do something. If I have a, a need for love, I can usually find someone. Maybe I'll call an old friend. Um, Colette has been needing a lot of love and care. Uh, by the way, she's here today. I hope you get to see her. Um, first time since her knee surgery a month ago. 
and, and she's doing really well, but she has been so needy. And now she's finally doing some stuff, so. I am a man, after all, right? Okay, let's get real here. This is the real stuff we're talking about. So if, if I have needs, I usually take care of myself, and I'm able to meet a lot of my needs by just doing the things I know to do, right? You understand? In a way, when I take care of myself, I'm loving myself. And then Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Which means, all those things that I do for myself, I need to do for my neighbor. And if I do, then I'm love. Then I'm living love. Then I'm being loving. Then I'm being what Christ wants me to be. So, are you going to do it? First question, who's my neighbor? If you don't have any neighbors, then pray for God to show you who a neighbor is. Then, after that, pray to love them. And God will make something fabulous happen. And it'll be a delight. Let's pray. Lord, help us to know who we are in you. And Lord, we are not perfect. Some of us have a long way to go to loving someone who, who's been an enemy. Or, or, or maybe we have, an, we have issues of prejudice in our life. And Lord, help us, because that is not your way. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Wash away that sin. And make us more like you. And let us seek neighbors and help us show us how to love them and give us the strength to do it in your name Jesus